Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where I do my best, along with my team of brilliant contributors, to keep you up to date on what's going on if you are very busy or you just don't have time to click into the news or maybe you're finding it a bit too harrowing, which frankly would be completely understandable at the moment. I will do my best to fill you in so that you still know what's going on and you can go out into the world and have all the conversations you want to have. Um, always weird when I do, I have a week without an episode with you guys. I think there's been like four of those weeks since I started the podcast, um, which is like more than a year and a half ago. Um, so I missed you. Um, I'm sorry that I couldn't bring you an episode last week. The world was conspiring against me. It's been a mod few weeks. I was at Other Voices, as I never stopped banging on about. And then I was in London for a work thing. And then this week, I was in Strasbourg. I was invited by uh, the European Parliament to go on a press trip to the European Parliament in Strasbourg. Now, let me tell you, I was a member of the European Youth Parliament as a teenager um, I loved it. I was like completely enamored with the idea of, you know, European values and, you know, democracy and justice. And I love the idea of having kind of power as a citizen. And I love all that stuff. So I immediately said yes to going. But then when the time came to go, I was like, am I insane going away for three days in December? My children are going to kill me. Like, I do not have time for this <laughs> at all. But anyway, I said yes, and off I went. And I'm really glad that I did. Um, it was very cool to kind of reconnect with those feelings that I had as a teenager and to remember um, how much happens at the European Parliament, how many laws are made there that impact our lives on a daily basis. Um, and just, it was very cool to just see it and see kind of how things work there. And we met loads of MEPs, which was really cool just to hear their kind of views and the things that they've been working on um and yeah I mean for someone like me it was kind of a dream I love to see how things work and how 
decisions are made and all that kind of stuff. So it was really exciting. And one of the people I met when I was there was Grace O'Sullivan, who's an MEP from Tremor in County Waterford. Grace is Grace's story of how she came to politics is fascinating. And um basically after she said it to me I was like you have to come to my podcast because the people need to hear this because <laughs> I really want you guys to hear it first of all just to I guess you know get to know her a little bit because I really I liked her um but also because I think it's just really good story of how you know your life can take so many different courses depending on the decisions that you make and you know actually a lot of the best politicians and air quotes are people who would never have considered themselves someone who might become a politician and often if you are passionate about something you can kind of end up falling into it um, and actually making a change in an area that you really feel passionate about and that's that's really kind of the crux of Grace's story so I think you're going to really enjoy that chat um what else from the well what I what I another thing I will say which was highly amusing for me was uh everyone else on the trip almost everyone else was way younger than me like 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 20 years younger than me um so I did like almost immediately fall into a kind of mom role. Um, but it was really cool actually to hang out with people who are very different from me and, and just much younger than me. Um, did I feel 105 years old? Sometimes, yes, sometimes. But most of the time it was just great, really good fun. Um, and I think I, I don't actually have a lot of people who are kind of 20, 21, 22 in my life anymore. I mean, it was cool to hear from them about their work. They're all influencers and content creators and um you know, they, they are so good at what they do. Um, and I learned loads from them as well. So yeah, it was a, it was a cool week. I'm never allowed to go anywhere ever again, though, uh, by decree of my family. And that is fair, to be honest, because frankly, I don't ever want to go anywhere ever again. I just want to lie down for 700 years. I am so tired. Um, with that in mind, I am going to be taking the next two weeks off from the podcast, but don't worry. I do have two episodes for you. I'll tell you more about what those episodes will be um, at the end of the episode, but the regular kind of podcast won't be happening for the next couple of weeks because I, I really, uh, really quite badly, I think, need a break. So that's what I'm going to do, my friends. But don't worry, we've got lots to get through before I tell you about what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. So let's get going with the news catch up this week. Uh, as always, I was joined by Carl Kinsla, who is a columnist with the journal.ie. Carl Kinsla, uh, just before I press record, you were telling me how proud of yourself you are. And I'm happy. I'm always encourage people to be proud of themselves. Tell us why you're proud of yourself. Yeah, so I spent last night... Uh putting together a slatum bed frame from Ikea. And actually it took me, I'd say it's my personal best putting together Ikea, because I've put together like one or two other Ikea beds in my time. I usually mess it up, but this time I'm pretty sure I did it perfectly. And I did it in under two hours, which like solo, by the way, no help, <laughs> no help from anyone. Didn't even have to call my dad or anything. <laughs> did you have to Google at any stage? Like yeah, I used missing a very or... <laughs> I used a really helpful YouTube tutorial and I actually I wish I could remember the name of the guy now because I'd love to shout him out because it was such a good tutorial. And so um, how was your night's sleep on your slot in oh, bed? Perfect. Per well, I did realize that I put the mattress on upside down at first. Oh. So I had kind of like some springs in my back and I was like, is this normal? Mm. Um, and then I decided to flip the mattress. And from that point onwards, it was I was on easy street. <laughs> 
Well, I am frankly thrilled for you. Thrilled. Thank you so much. We had a real life encounter in the airport the other day, which was quite thrilling, a spontaneous Carl encounter. It was really exciting. I, <laughs> caught, I had no idea who's when I heard someone calling Carl, I was like, who could that be? It was me. Because uh, you've been back and forth. You're, so you're back in Amsterdam now, but then you're coming home for a while for Christmas, right? Yes, I'll be home for about three weeks. Lovely. What are you going to do for those three weeks? God, I definitely just rest a lot. Yeah. Uh, like my assignments um, finish up around the 22nd. And then from that moment onwards, I just don't want to have any responsibilities for yeah. as long as possible. Love that for you. I also am hoping to lie down a lot over Christmas, but that's not normally an option for me because my children just won't have it, frankly. Yeah. Um, so I've been thinking about trying to maybe get like family members to take them out for a few hours here and there. Oh, just like idea. maybe even twice even twice over Christmas, just so that I could be horizontal for a while. It would be a dreamy Maybe thing. Maybe even even if you have some generous listeners who would, who would take the kids. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, Sam and Ted, this is yeah. Sharon. Sharon's taking you out for the day. They would absolutely not be up for that. My kids are very picky about who they hang out with. And sh that doesn't mean that Sharon wouldn't be spectacular. I have no doubt that every single person who's listening to this podcast is amazing. But you've got to pass some real tests and te longevity tests with those kids for them to uh, head out with you for the day. Anyway, we've got lots of news to talk about because obviously we weren't uh, speaking last week due to many different issues uh, which conspired against me. Um, but let's get into it. Um, situation in Gaza is no better. No, no, it's really not. Um, I, you know, it kind of feels like week after week when we do this, I, I suppose it's almost important to begin with sort of where we are with the stated death toll. Mm. Right now, it, it seems as though the death toll is somewhere in the region of 18,000 people, which at this point is just astronomical. Some sources say higher, some sources say lower. It kind of, it all comes from the Ministry of Health in Gaza. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, as, as sort of, as UNICEF has pointed out before, there's no reason to doubt those figures. So mm. certainly it's somewhere in the region of 18,000. Um, we know that a, a huge percentage of those are children. Um, and yeah, that just that continues unabated. Obviously, two weeks ago we had we had a ceasefire, but that there seems to be no prospect of that uh, restarting yeah. at the moment. And what we have a situation. So there's a report in the journal this week, uh, an Irish Palestinian doctor, Ahmed El Makalati. Um, he spoke about just the. So this is something that is, is coming up a lot in the conversation is that even if people aren't dying from the shelling or from bullets, they're dying from disease because the hospitals are no longer able to um, provide mm -hmm. adequate care. You know, they've, they've got this in this report. It says there's only three three surgeons um, when they come into to work in the morning. That's in the Khan Yunus area, which Khan Yunus is in southern Gaza. And that's suffering kind of the most of the bombing at the minute because, you know, they've already flattened the north of the country they've they flattened the north of the country they advised people to move towards the south and now the idf is bombing the south mm. so that's sort of the the state of play and it is it is just continuously horrific mm. um you know and i think it's really hard because everybody feels so powerless i mean people are still protesting people are still donating people are doing everything that they can you know the people who feel passionately like this should end which is most of us in ireland um and and it has to be said millions of people around the world even joe biden this week had to admit that israel was losing support um over you know what he referred to as an indiscriminate bombing campaign yeah i find watching joe biden kind of since october 7th it's been one of the most 
it's been demoralizing. You know, not that I, I think I would have been any, under any illusions as to what position the sort of the president of America would take in a situation like this. Yeah. But Joe Biden, he's been very inconsistent. You know, you've got the situation where he'll approve hundreds of millions in arms deals and, you know, sending sort of targeted weapons to Israel for them to use in this campaign. Um, you've also got last week, there was the the UN Security Council vote or the UN General Assembly vote on calling for a ceasefire. Mm. And the US still uh, is against that. But then, yeah, you have Joe Biden making a speech this week where he says that Israel is is undertaking indiscriminate bombing and it, and that's that's such a big accusation and i think anyone if you're using the phrase indiscriminate bombing there's obviously a, a huge implication there that you don't approve of what's happening yeah but of course, all of his decisions all of the concrete steps he's taking would suggest that he does support it so it's it's very maddening yeah yeah and disappointing i think i mean and i think for a lot of people you know, enlightening in terms of the relationship between the U.S. and Israel, people maybe might not have realized before. And you mentioned there that the U.N. Security Council uh, kind of vote on a ceasefire was vetoed by the United States last week, which is very frustrating. There was another vote at the U.N. General Assembly this week. um, And, you know, the result is symbolic, really, like it doesn't force anything to happen. But the results of it are still worth noting, I think. Yeah. So again, kind of like the one that happened um, last month, you know, overwhelmingly in favor of calling for a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few kind of important countries that are holdouts, of course, the US being one of them, of course, Israel being another. Yeah. And then you have maybe some more surprising countries like Ukraine, which abstained from it. United Kingdom has abstained. Um, United Kingdom also abstained from the Security Council vote that you mentioned. So, you know, yeah, you just you kind of get these significant countries that stand against it. But yeah, an overwhelming um, majority in favor, 153 countries, you know, including Mm. Ireland and including most of Ireland's EU partners. Mm. I was um, actually visiting the European Parliament this week, which I'm I haven't recorded the intro to this podcast yet, but I'll definitely tell you all about. So you've heard already me talk about it, which is breaking my brain. But um. Gaza obviously came up over and over and over again in our meetings with the MEPs um, and uh, it was really interesting to be in a place of political power um, and to still have this overwhelming feeling of powerlessness (laughs) um, and frustration. Um, But there was a Swedish MEP who I kind of fell in love with while I was there. She's amazing. I don't know if you remember... um, around the time that the Iranian women's protests were massively in the news, um, she actually cut her hair uh, while speaking at the European Parliament. Um, But I I was at the, this is all, it's so actually very bizarre to kind of refer to these things that I was there, but I was. And the Sakharov Prize was given this week at the European Parliament. And the Sakharov Prize, um, let me get this right, because I obviously don't, um, I'm not, massively well well versed in all this but it's a prize for kind of human rights efforts essentially um and um it was given this year to uh masa amini and the woman life freedom movement in iran so i was in a kind of a conference with uh, some of the women from the campaign and this mep who i am obsessed with whose name i obviously cannot get to currently which is driving me absolutely bananas um i'll get it in a second oh sorry I have it. 
she's Abir Al-Salani. She's a Swedish MEP. She's amazing. First of all, very glamorous, long red nails, jewelry on over the sleeves of her polo neck. Like I was just like, you've just got it all. Um, but aside from the glamour, so articulate, so articulate. And she was taking questions from people in the room who were from various different organizations and NGOs around Europe. And, um, you know, one thing that she kept saying over and over and over again, and, and kept reminding us of is that, you know, she was saying, look, the people do have the power and where there's a political will, there is a political way to resolve any challenge that we have. But in order for there to be a political will, the people have to push and push and push and push. And it kind of made me feel a bit better about the fact, because I think, you know, like Gordon said to me there, he was like, what's the point of the protests at this point? Like, you know, we're just doing it over, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. And I was like, yeah, but I think first of all, it sends a message to the people of Palestine. You know, if they, if they know that there are people protesting all around the world, like I think that that is meaningful. And secondly, you know, yes, our government is on side, but like, you know, the American government isn't. And at some stage, the Democrats are going to realize that they yep. are going to suffer in the election if they don't do something about this, if enough people get out on the street. And so that's how you get the political will is to, to show that there will be consequences. So people do have power. And, you know, I think it's easy to feel powerless. But I, I was really reminded when I was at the European Parliament this week that actually, you know, if you organize, if you communicate clearly to politicians that, you know, you will not accept X, Y, or Z, and that therefore their political career will suffer as a result, you can't actually get things done. Absolutely. And the same goes for private industry as well. It kind of takes us on to, you know, we were going to discuss Puma's sponsorship yeah. of Israeli soccer team's uh, jersey. Uh, Puma has called a halt to that. Now, Puma have said publicly, they've said that it's not to do with the boycotting efforts, because obviously as part of BDS, uh, boycott divestment sanction movement, um, Puma is is one of the brands that, uh, that have been targeted. Um and they've said it's not about that. That's not the reason that they're stopping their sponsorship of the Israeli jersey. But it, the Financial Times reported that it, it did have a lot to do with that. And mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like it would be very naive in this day and age to think that it doesn't have some, uh, you know, consequence if you've got thousands, if not millions of people globally, particularly soccer fans and soccer fans in the Middle East, where soccer is so popular, mm -hmm. um, fans in the likes of Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar. You know, if those people are boycotting Puma products, then that's obviously going to have a significant effect. Yeah. Um, so it's it all comes down to, as you say, protest, people power, and yeah, the BDS movement. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it it is it's very interesting to see that that could be having very real impacts on such major companies. Absolutely, and I think I I read something about Starbucks having major Starbucks, losses yeah. as well. Yeah, like which is great, and it just it just does mean that it matters. You know, it does yeah. matter, and we have to believe that it's worth keeping going. It's worth continuing to fundraise. It's worth continuing to protest. It's worth continuing to boycott because even though it is absolutely incredible and unbelievable that this is still going on. And for a lot of us, you know, I'm sure that there are moments of hopelessness. We have to believe that if we keep trying, eventually the message will get there. Now, has there been a, a level of damage done that we will never get over? Has Palestine as a country been pulverized? Yes. Can we bring back the lives of the thousands of people and children who have died? No. But I think that we can send a message moving forward that this is unacceptable. Um, 
also just before we move on briefly because I know I think a lot of people will have probably heard this story this week so just to add some clarity uh, Zara apologized and pulled an ad um, because people felt like it had connections to what was going on in Gaza yeah so that was a, a strange ad campaign as you say your listeners have probably seen it and and it was given the sort of imagery we've seen of of bodies kind of wrapped in white sheet it, it just felt very wrong and that's exactly what what the photo shoot was so you know obviously it was it was zara doing their thing promoting a new line but it it was mannequins with kind of missing limbs and it was you know things that essentially look like bodies wrapped in sheets and it, white sheets it was it was quite disturbing given the association that people have with that kind of imagery right mm. now Zara have clarified that the, the what they said was the idea was conceived during the summer and the photo shoot was actually it was done in September. So before the hostilities even really began. And and honestly, like, you know, that is believable. These these things do happen. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, so like the that, Marks and Spencer's odd where people claimed that it was, yes. you know, because the colors of red and green were used. Yeah, like their Christmas probably colors. they. They should have had the sense to shelve it. You know, if they've got anyone working in their PR, crisis PR, there should have been advice to shelve it. Mm. Um, but at least, you know, I think they've, they've apologized now and they're taken down. It was a weird photo shoot. Obviously, I'm I'm certainly not the, the beauty or fashion expert here, but it was for me, it was it was unsettling anyway. I don't really know why that mm. was something conceived of. But I mean, like I say, I'm I, maybe at a different time. It well, the been. thing is as well, like. Zara is known for its weird imagery. Like if you ever go on the mm. Zara website, like what the, the models are doing, like, you know, it never makes sense. It's always weird. It's always really hard to find yeah. uh, or to like <laughs> even see the actual clothes. So it is kind of an ongoing joke, but this is a very different vibe. And it didn't help then that these messages kind of came to the surface again from a couple of years ago of this woman, Vanessa Perlman, who is, um, I think one of the creative directors or head women's designer, excuse me. Um, and uh, about Gaza and Israel um, and, you know, they're not good. The messages are not good. Now, they aren't from now. Yeah. And that is important, I think, to acknowledge that that uh, context because maybe she wouldn't send those messages now. Who knows? Um, but, you know, when you have the combination of someone who has been anti-Palestine previously in a very senior position in the company and probably presumably involved in kind of the creative direction of these kinds of shoots, and then you get, um, you know, this kind of photo shoot, it, it just doesn't look good. I actually personally genuinely don't believe that it was intentional do you well that's if you know if it was if it's a case like i assume that if they claim that the the photoshop shoot was done in september i assume that they have plenty of paperwork that would back that up you know i assume mm. that they would have invoices you know regarding the the models and the photographers so you know for me it's like as long as it happened you know before all of this kicked off you know i'd give them a pass but mm. You know, as you say, there's a lot of industries where, um, or not even industries, but just companies where leadership is not necessarily very favorable favorable to Palestine, as we've seen. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to just uh, wrestle with your own conscience in terms of how you approach these companies, and yeah. and I guess just keep an eye on the BDS list. Yeah. Uh, and just sort of trust trust those voices. Um, staying with happy news, uh, climate change. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So, uh, COP twenty eight uh, happening this week happened. Is it finished? It's ongoing. Yeah. 
I think it's so I think that the the big centerpiece of every cop is is when they come to their sort of end of end of summit statement. Sorry, just of, before we move on, for people who don't know what is COP. Yeah, so COP is the annual conference that's organized each year by the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Uh, and this year it was it was held in the United Arab Emirates, which was sort of controversial to begin with because yeah. obviously UAE is a major uh, oil producing company, uh, one of the biggest in the world. So I think from the get go, people were a bit nervous about how this one was going to play out. There's been a lot of criticism in recent years that COP has too much sort of sponsorship and involvement from the fossil fuel industries mm. and that it's kind of become a bit meaningless. And so uh, at the Journal, we're very lucky. We have a reporter called Lauren Boland, who's an, an expert in climate issues. And she's mm. she kind of she filed her write up on it yesterday. And she was saying that while the outcome and the agreement they came to wasn't the absolute worst. She said it wasn't a total failure, that mm. uh, it is just further evidence of how slow we're moving. And if, if you consider what COP is, COP is the summit where we discuss action on climate change. So like, that's what it's for. Mm. So if you think that if something that is dedicated to stopping climate change can only use such weak terminology and make so few promises, then where does that leave the rest of us? And, mm. and Lauren pointed out that just the language being used uh, in the final agreement is there's, you know, there's no promises. It's not binding. It's just uh, it's taking steps towards phasing out fossil fuels. And it's, mm. it's a lot of weasel words. And, uh, you know, ultimately you have to conclude that that comes from the input of the oil producing nations mm. like UAE who are mm. the hosts. Mm. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who are very disappointed mm. by how COP has ended up. And there's there's been a lot of really firm critics on um, on how it's unfolded, which mm. is it's, it's a real shame. Um, and I suppose tangentially, but connected, there was a tornado in Leitrim this week. Oh, my God. There was a tornado in Leitrim. Can there you, was a tornado in Leitrim. Have you ever heard anything like it? You no. know, like, feel like, you know, and again, I think it's it's hard to know how attributable each individual strange climate, or a like a strange weather event, how attributable, attributable. Oh my God, I've just messed up that sense. <laughs> it's strange to know. I'm not how, editing this out. Oh God, oh God. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah, <laughs> I brought this on myself. I deserve I deserve to be shamed for this utter nonsense. Yeah. So what I'm saying is obviously we don't know if the tornado in Leitrim was caused directly by climate change. But yeah. I suppose we do know that the climate we live in is responsible for the weather and the tornado is part of that weather. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if Leitrim is about to see a huge uptick in tornadoes. If this is going to be the new normal for Leitrim, I honestly don't know. It's obviously not. very it's it's very strange. It's still very sad. You know, if you're in Leitrim town and your your village or you know your your pub, your business is affected. If your roof is blown off, you know these are this is you know it's it's just a. I don't even know how you'd reconcile it. You know, you wake up one morning. It's it's just a disaster. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's awful. And you know, obviously Leo Varadkar visited, and it's it's been one of uh, several weather events we've talked about on this podcast, Louise, mm -hmm. where. You know, the government is going to have to step up and intervene and provide not only sort of uh, immediate um, reimbursement of like emergency payments, yeah. but also we need to consider like preventative measures, yeah. which is, you know, I, I'm not sure. Certainly a couple of years ago, if we, we thought we'd be in the position where Leitrim is already experiencing tornadoes, because I mean, tornadoes in Ireland are an enormous rarity. I yeah. mean, uh, it's interesting. There's been some kind of talk. Uh, uh, just I saw a bit of analysis by Met Aaron. 
at the very start, people used the phrase mini tornado. But but the, the fact is, there actually is no such thing as a mini tornado in, in weather science. It's mm. either a tornado or it's not. Yeah. And, and Leitrim did uh, experience a tornado. So yeah. it is fascinating it's certainly something that will be remembered for a long time I yeah think. god and like really massive like I don't even know what to say uh sympathy with you if you're someone who was affected by it this week I did hear that the people of Leitrim have been absolutely incredible and that they're all working together uh, to try and assist everybody who needs help but yeah I mean the thing is how do you prepare for weather events that have never happened here before like how do you you know, should we all be preparing for a potential tornado? Should we all be preparing for a potential flooding on the scale that we saw in, say, Middleton earlier this year? It's it's really hard to know. Hard That's to know. It. Okay, before I let you go, the IFA, Irish Farming Association. Irish Farmers Association. Jesus Christ, Louise. This is why you're the expert and I'm not. Um, the Irish Farmers Association has elected a woman as its deputy president for the first time in history. Yes, uh, Alice Doyle from Wexford, which is a, a point of pride for me as well. My dad is from Wexford, so nice. any 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 news story that ever involves Wexford is great because it means I get an opportunity to just you know ask if he knows these people. Um, <laughs> and does he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna have to call him about this. Maybe my dad wouldn't be uh, he wouldn't be a farmer, so mm. I, I don't know. He'd love to pretend that he's a farmer, but he's, right. he's not. A farmer. <laughs> he's, he's a, a townie. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so uh, Alice Doyle, she was elected with 16,502 votes and she beat out uh, Pat Murphy. Um, and yeah, she she was, she was gave a speech, said, I come from a background where I've worked on the farm and off it. So I represent the whole farming background. So, mm. I, you know, I, that's good for her. I, I'm not going to claim to be a farming expert in any in any way, shape or form. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, that this after so long, you know, a country like Ireland that is so heavily agricultural, that this is the first time. Yeah. A, a woman who's and again, not even president. When I first saw the story, I was like, oh, she must be president. But no, just deputy. Pre well, I mean, yeah. deputy president. Yeah, it's still but significant. It's no, but I had the exact same thought. I was like wild that it's noteworthy, you know, that this is the first time that the deputy president yeah. has been a woman, let alone the president. Yeah. Um, but it's great. I mean, look, it's always great to see things like this happen and, and organizations step forward. And there are lots of women doing amazing work in farming, let's be honest. Um, and women are better than men. So like, it makes sense to have them in, in senior positions. Absolutely. And, <laughs> <laughs> no arguments here. Oh, you, God. I have no boundaries at the moment. If you're, if, you're, if you're looking for pushback on that one, you've come to the wrong guy. <laughs> and that's why, and that's why you work on this show. <laughs> Um, anyway, look, brilliant news. Well done, Alice Doyle. Um, and I'm sure that the organization will benefit massively from having you in a senior role within it. Okay, Carl, my friend, um, I think we, hang on, let me look at the calendar. When is Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't think we're going to have a normal episode next week, Carl. Okay, cool. Maybe we will. Maybe I need, should talk about you talk to you about this when we're not on our microphones um, yep. I need to get my brain organized um, but anyway if if we don't speak to you next week we will speak to you in a few weeks and uh, in the meantime people can you can read Carl's brilliant column which comes out every Saturday on the journal.ie surreeling in the years and I know you're building up quite an Instagram following Carl now <laughs> It's unbelievable. I actually can't, I can't even wrap my head around it. I, I've never been so popular on Instagram. Well, um, are you yeah, single, Carl? Uh, did you just ask me if I'm single? I did, yeah. I, I, I You don't am, have to answer that question. I, I am, I am, I am single. Okay, but I'm just I, saying, like, I feel like your points might I'm, go up via... You know, it, it, it takes more than just an Instagram follow to, uh, <laughs> you know, like, you, I'm... <laughs> 
Oh man. Sorry, Carl. <laughs> I just think, you know, I'm just I just think your stock <laughs> might be I, going up via this. I do get the well. sense that a lot of the new demographic that I've tapped into on Instagram, it is a lot of married women. Like oh, I've married women. A, a lot of the profile pictures are kind of women on their wedding day. <laughs> okay. Um, so to all those women who have followed me, the married women, I would want to say congratulations on your wedding. <laughs> on your various weddings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Carl. I made it. I made it inappropriate. Um, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. Thanks, Louise. As I mentioned at the start, I met Grace O'Sullivan in Strasbourg this week. She is an MEP from Tremore in County Waterford. She is a Green Party MEP who is so passionate about conservation, the planet, nature, climate change, also women's rights, equality. Um, she is just great. I, I really, really immediately warmed to her when I met her and her passion is contagious. But when I heard her story of how she came to politics and the work that she's done, I, I just really felt like you guys would enjoy it. Um, inc- like it's got bombs it's got boats. It's It's got everything that you could possibly want in a good story of how someone <laughs> arrived in politics. So I hope you uh, enjoy hearing from Grace O'Sullivan. Grace, I was so delighted to meet you this week in Strasbourg. Um, I learned so much about the European Parliament and so much about all of the work that's being done there. It was really great. Um, but I was particularly struck by your story of how you found your way into politics because you said yourself you're kind of a reluctant politician. Um, and I I suppose on with this podcast, I'm I always want to encourage particularly women. Now we have obviously all kinds of people listen, but particularly women to kind of consider the path that their life is taking and whether maybe they, you know, politics might be something that they would be interested in or maybe there's a different way that they could have an impact if they feel like they would like to. And I think your story is such a good example of that. So I know you told it all to me this week, but I was hoping you would tell it all again uh, so that my listeners could hear. Sure. So, um, I suppose, uh, Louise, uh, firstly, it was fantastic to meet you here in the European Parliament in Strasbourg. And, um, you know, I often think the best way to kind of understand something is to go get out in the field. Mm. Um, so it was, it was really a great uh, opportunity to meet you. Um, so uh, my story, I suppose, uh, I always says it goes back to growing up in Tremor, County Waterford. Mm. So I grew up by the sea and I just... Um, was one of those children I loved the sea mm. so I loved uh, as a young child swimming and and getting out um, in the water and kind of as well like I'm a, an observer so I would describe myself as more of a listener than uh, the kind of the speaker mm. you know so um, and I'm, I'm happy kind of in my own skin so even as a child I'm be happy kind of heading off for walks and like getting out adventure on my own. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, I love being in groups, you know. Mm. So um, I think what uh, from a very young age, I was lucky to uh, find my peace in nature. Mm. And that was, um, you know, and that led me into community work at a young age. So, you know, being a lifeguard on the beach in Tremor, being a member of the Sea and Cliff Rescue mm. in Tremor at the age of 16 and that. So it's and you were all- the, the first female to do that, right? Well, it's surf champion. Yeah. So I was surfing as well. So I'm down as the first female surf 
champion. Um, so that was uh, a title I took back in Rossnaula in Donegal back in 1981, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, just... Uh, that com- but I didn't know at the time, you know, being a lifeguard, being a member of Sea and Cliff Rescue, that that actually was going to be a, a skill that I would take with me for the rest of my life. Mm. So I'm still, um, you know, a lot older, but I'm still a qualified beach lifeguard. Mm. So every two years I have to update my skills. But um, uh, the point I want to make for uh, your listeners, Louise, is that, you know, you can be building up little soft skills around you when you're in school or you're in college. You can, you know, there's lots of of really important uh, work you can do. um, And that's, you know, meals on wheels, hanging out with your grandparents, you know, because very often older people can be lonely at home. Mm. So I would have, uh, at the weekends when I was uh, a teenager, I would have spent time with my granddad after my granny had uh, passed away, you know. Mm. So, um, and it just uh, always kind of looking at, you know, helping out really. Mm. Um, and then, um, so uh, at the age of uh, 17, I went with my sister Mary and my uh, best friend Teresa over to um, Holland mm. because my brothers were working in the fish industry there. Mm. And in the harbour, uh, in a place called Scheveningen in, in, near The Hague. You had lots and lots of different boats, fishing boats and ferry boats and like big boats. Uh, but then you, there was one boat that was different. So I'm always looking for the different thing, you know. Mm. And that boat had a rainbow on it and a peace dove and it had the words Green Peace written on the side of it. So I uh, saw that and I went over and I just asked some of the crew, um, you know, what they do. And what kind of work they did. And they said they were a, a com- conservation organization. I remember hearing that word conservation. What does that mean? You mm. know, and they said they protect nature. So if, um, you know, seals are being killed for the fur coat, fur industry or whales are being killed, um, you know, that they go and they try to stop these kind of practices because of uh, the impact on the creatures and on nature in general. So I was immediately inspired. Mm. So when I'm inspired, even back then and and to this day, I'll always take initiative. So if, you know, um, like I meet someone and and they tell me an interesting story, I'll say, okay, well, you know, can we follow on? So I saw the Greenpeace ship and then I wrote to the organization Greenpeace. And this was back in the, the late 1970s. Mm. And then, um, and I yeah, said- Yeah, because I, you couldn't, just Google, <laughs> you know, you no, couldn't no, Google no. them. No, so how oh, how did you yeah, even we, find out where to send the letter? Yeah, so I um, I somehow I managed to find out that Greenpeace had an office in London. Mm. Now I might have got that even from the people on the ship. I yeah. can't even remember. Mm. But the ship was called the Rainbow Warrior, mm. and um, so I found the the address and I wrote to them. Um, and it was the time of snail mail. Mm. You know, I mean, there was no social media like we yeah. have today. So I had to do like a, a little bit of kind of uh, sussing out and take the initiative to write the letter, you know, and I always think um, it's always well worth taking a bit of initiative. Mm. Like sometimes, you know, the way you can fantasize in your head, oh, you know, I'd love to be this or I'd love to be that. And it stays in your head as a fantasy. Mm. Or you can say, um, you know, uh, 
I'd love to do that. I wonder how I could do that. Mm. And then you start to kind of create the, the, you start to look down the path and see, okay, well, how might I be able to, to get to that place? Mm. And I think even with social media today, you know, people like your listeners and that, they're probably all going, wow, Louise McSherry, how did she do that? You know, <laughs> and, you know, and, and it is like when you're questioning, just, just follow through on your questionings and mm. see what the world will offer you, you know. Um, so I, I um, had sent that letter off and then uh, a few years later, so I was just turning 21, I got a, a phone call from Greenpeace um, asking me would I join their ship in uh, in Amsterdam, the port of Amsterdam. So I um, I decided to do that, you know. So I, I took off to sea and for the next uh, 10 years, my life was... Uh, my home was a series of ships all over the world. So Greenpeace, uh, with the campaigns, it brought me to Antarctica twice. So I've been out and about on the Antarctic co uh, continent. Um, you know, I've been into uh, Scots hot in Antarctica. I've mm. been into Shackleton's hot in Antarctica, um, the great explorers, you know. And then, um, but also like all, all around New Zealand, Australia, um, Mediterranean Sea for years and years, uh, Irish Sea, um, all around. But the point is, Louise, that in my mind, the campaigns of Greenpeace, um, I've always kind of kept them very simple for myself. So I've always said there was the A, B, C and D. The A was air quality. So in order for us humans to survive, we need to be sure that the air is healthy so that we're not polluting it. Mm. So, so we need to think of how you know business operate, how we live our lives, and make sure that uh, air quality is important for public health, for all our health. Mm. And then uh, the B is biodiversity, mm. so that's all the, the role of nature and our place in nature. So we are, um, you know, we're, we're one of the, the, the a mammal, we're one of uh, a variety of mammals and different species on planet Earth. But we're part of the, the ecosystem. So we're part of, of the, the, the habitat, the living space, and also part uh, of the overall ecosystem. And we're, but we're not, what we are not is, we are not the God. Mm. So that we have to recognize our place in nature mm. and within our, our communities, within our families. And then we also, uh, for me, we have to, um, you know, uh, recognize that if we don't, uh, uh, if we don't mind that place that we want to live in, then uh, we can find ourselves under uh, under uh, difficulties and threat. Mm. The C is climate change. Mm. So climate change is the biggest, what they call an existential threat. Mm. So it actually the the global warming. Uh, and climate change can uh, has the potential to wipe out our species, so our existence. So that's why you hear the scientists, or you hear the Antonio Guterres from the United Nations, or Mary Robinson, saying this is an existential threat that our existence is in tr in trouble if we're not careful. And then the D is disarmament, mm -hmm. so that we. Um, that we live in peace and justice mm. so that we don't use uh, uh, public funds, we don't use money to prop up uh, the, the war industry. 
Because remember, today as we speak, children in Gaza are being killed. Yeah. Today as we speak, uh, people in the West Bank are being killed. Today as we speak, uh, people in Ukraine are being killed. Mm. So the more, you know, that we, um, uh, it, 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 that we allow uh, these weapons in industries uh, to develop, the more that we put public money in supporting uh, in the, the arms industry, the more there will be war and the mm. more there will be death. Mm. So I know it's fairly simplistic, you know, but in the end, you know, what we're seeing in Gaza particularly, like the indiscriminate killing of so many, like 18,000 uh, civilians, women and children. I know. Is, I so know. we can't, that, that just is, is wrong. So that's the A, air, B, biodiversity, C, climate, and D, the disarmament. Mm. So they were the kind of principles I operated under as a member of Greenpeace back in my early 20s. And so what what kind of made you finish your time with Greenpeace? So so I did 10 years on the ships. And during that time, you might remember, Louise, I talked about the bombing of the, yeah. the very ship I saw, the Rainbow Warrior, that I was a crew member actually on and the killing of my friend Fernando Pereira, um, the photographer on board. Um, so uh, uh, what happened was, uh, I, after 10 years at sea, I moved into the office of Greenpeace in mm. Amsterdam. Sorry, Grace, and just then, to pause you there, because for yeah. people who don't know, that bombing, what happened with that for people who are listening? Yeah, so I, w- I was 23. I was one of the crew of 13 or so on board this ship called the Rainbow Warrior, mm. which was uh, a Greenpeace ship. And we had sailed uh, from uh, um, Florida through Hawaii, the Marshall Islands, Kiribati, Vanuatu, all the Pacific Islands that we're hearing of today in terms of climate change. Mm. But we sailed through all those islands talking about uh, nuclear weapons testing by the French government and by American government back in, in the, the 60s, 70s, 80s. And we were going to sail, we sailed into Auckland, New Zealand, and we were going to sail from Auckland across the Southern Ocean to where the French were testing the nuclear bombs in French Polynesia. Mm. And the French government got wind of our plans and they put a spy in our office in Auckland, New Zealand, and they um, put Secret Service intelligence, so their intelligence services spying on Greenpeace. And they didn't want us going to French Polynesia because they thought we would, you know, we would uh, focus the eyes of the world on the nuclear weapons testing mm. of the French government. So they decided to stop us. And we were activists, you know, uh, environmental activists. Mm. We were peace and justice people. And uh, so they decided to plant two bombs on our ship. And the ship Rainbow Warrior was in the harbour in Auckland, New Zealand. And half of us were on the quayside, like we were gone out for um were the night and uh, the other half were on board and the first bomb exploded around midnight on the 10th of July 1985 and the water started pouring into the ship and the crew on board and the captain Peter Wilcox the last thing he thought was that uh, a bomb had caused this he Mm. thought there was a problem in the engine room and then the crew were jumped onto the quayside and then Fernando Pereira the photographer thought my cameras are still on the ship 
So he jumped back onto the Rainbow Warrior to get his his cameras, and the second bomb exploded, mm. and he uh, he uh, lost his life. So he actually he he, he drowned. The mm. water started coming on, and like I was so young, I was only twenty three, and I yeah. remember the trauma. Like the trauma of, of what had happened, and we were like family because we'd been together at sea for so many months. And yeah. like my mother at the time, she she and it wasn't we'd no mobile phone, so it was we had the phone in the hall in my parents' house in in Tremor, and my mother was ringing saying like you've got to leave, you've got to come home. This is too dangerous, and um, you know this is a threat to your life. And I mean obviously. Like I had to assess that for myself, as did the other crew. But at the time, I just thought this work is really important mm. and I just wanted to continue. Mm. And so I stayed with Greenpeace for 10 years at sea and then nine years in the office mm. um, in Amsterdam and um, involved in, in recruitment and training and uh, all kinds of different work. And then um, and becoming a mama. Mm. So, uh, Mama Grace, uh, so I um, had, uh, in the course of the 1990s, I had three children mm. with my uh, Dutch husband mm. and we were living in the Netherlands um, and I was working away. I've always been the, the breadwinner. Mm. And then, and I was studying, I was doing a, an MBA at the time and then the marriage started hitting some some rocks. Yeah. So, the, the um, we started um, having some difficulties. And I suppose I, I remember when I was getting married mm. and my mother saying to me, you know, um, you know, oh, Renz is from a different country and different upbringing because he, he had no, um, he'd been brought up non-religious, you know. Mm. And it's funny, though, as you're when you have children and then, you know, you um, maybe some of the values that you'd grown up with come to the fore and they yeah. can often create tensions yeah so anyway, we um decided to i just uh, decided we sat down and we you know we'd given it a bit of a, a try but i was also and i i didn't realize it at the time louise i was really homesick yeah i wanted to go back to tremor mm -hmm. and i wanted my children to grow up like i had grown up yeah by tremor. the sea by the sea and yeah. with the big Irish family and all the cousins and all of that. Mm. We didn't have that in Holland. So anyway, I bailed out with my three daughters yeah. and we moved back to Ireland and back into Tremor. And I, because I left Greenpeace and that was, it was really hard leaving a marriage, but leaving an organization that I'd worked with for 20 years, that was, that was so difficult. And that you really believed in. And I really believed in, yeah. and you know, it was I loved it, and I worked hard and made my living from it to support my family, and mm. um, so that was gone. So I came back to Ireland uh, as a single parent, and I didn't have an income, so you know, I had to find schooling for my girls, um, Emer special needs, so I had to get special um, place like St Martin's in Watford were brilliant, mm. so Emer had to be assessed. Um, by um, the uh, the psychiatrist, she had to be, you know, they had to see what type of uh, support she needed, mm -hmm. and then the other uh, girls uh, went to the local school. So, so then I I I was at home as as Mama Grace, you know. So I come from this very kind of dynamic um, uh, world of of Greenpeace and 
frontline environmental uh, activist organization and um, then uh, back home. But once I got back home, oh, I, I landed because I was back into that environment I absolutely loved. Mm. So back into the beach in Tremor, back, uh, you know, meeting the my old buddies, all the surfing community, yeah. going on to the committee in the Tremor T-Bay, we call it Tremor Bay Surf Club, and, mm. and just getting stuck back into the, um, the, the environment there. But also, Louise, using so you know i was only probably home a few weeks and getting things organized and then i got an opportunity you know to talk at a, a, a meeting about the environment or mm. to campaign against the development of the big um, golf club and uh, hotel complex yeah so I, I i found myself getting stuck back in again yeah uh, but i mean look we were on um you know uh, i always talk about myself the girls as like a, a team or the family team you know yeah like we had small yeah. small income but uh, we've always been very creative so you know i was i was working in the surf shop in tremor and the surf uh, the cafe in mm. tremor at, in the surf club uh, did my barista training kind of running the place the surfing and the um the cafe and um, doing the coordination of that mm. um and then just building that helping to build that business and mm. uh, and like uh, the girls my girls were growing up and just uh, just everything, like making the best of life, yeah. as, as we could, you know. Um, and yeah. so, so then, where did the politics come in? <laughs> yeah. So then, then, uh, and I, I'd gone to UCC when I came back to Ireland. I did the distance learning course, the field ecology. Loved that. I did a postgraduate diploma in SETU in Waterford, um, in business development, and. Meanwhile, I was, you know, running the, the cafe, making the coffee. And then I was uh, cleaning out the, the wet rooms where the surfers uh, uh, change in that. And I went back into the cafe and I had a missed call from my phone. And I rang back the number and it was um, Eamon Ryan. Mm. And I'd never spoken to the man in my life. Um, you know, I knew he was uh, the Green Party. I would have been a Green voter but I wasn't a, green, a member of the Green Party. Um, and then he just said, uh, this was um, like early uh, 2014, um, and uh, he just said they were looking for candidates to run. The Green Party were looking for candidates to run in the elections. Mm. And Louise, I hadn't a clue what elections he was talking about. <laughs> and it was actually the European and the local elections. Yeah. And then uh, I said, no, absolutely impossible. Single parent, three children, Emer special needs, uh, really um, couldn't afford it. Yeah. Like, couldn't think of it and then he said could he come down and speak to me in Tremor and and uh, I said yeah of course come down so we sat down and we started talking about climate change biodiversity <laughs> air quality peace and justice and uh, and we talked another time again and then on the, the fourth time I eventually said do you know what um, I'll do this but the only reason I could say that Louise was because my brother one of my brothers um, had said to me listen I'll uh, I'll throw a thousand on the table for you to get you going 
and and it, it was and that support was really really important and then what happened is i had friends come around me and organizing a coffee morning and stuff so we started on a, a, a small budget you know mm. um and then like like anything louise um you know when when i go for it i go for it yeah so <laughs> kind of all or nothing so i just threw myself into it and I didn't get elected the first time in the European elections in 2014. Uh, but I did talk about all those issues mm. that are so close to my heart. And then um, 2016, I ran in the general election. I didn't get elected. Um, now, in 2014, when I was running, Simon Harris was running and he didn't get elected either. <laughs> so um, I went in 2016 general and then in um, I on the back of the the general election I got elected into the Shannon Aaron into the Irish Senate and that was one of the best things that ever happened in my life mm. it was such an amazing experience I had I like I, I didn't know the Oireachtas I didn't really know how it all worked I, and all of that and I, I, you know the one thing I have to say the ushers so all of the people the staff up in Leinster House they are the kindest and the, the nicest people, uh, you know, in my case, I, I really was unsure and stuff. And they really helped me find my feet. And then, you know, the Green Party around me. And then I suppose I consider myself a collaborative politician. Mm. So I tried to work with as many people as possible to try to um, influence them, really, to see the, you know, the story of, of what I've been doing over my life and why we need to create a change because we still have huge, huge problems. Mm. So in a way, you know, you might say, God, you're at it a long time. You're not tired. I'm not at all because, <laughs> you know, I think of I think of my myself. I think of the, the environment I love to live in and um, like I want a healthy environment. And I think about. Uh, you know families and communities and and my children and everyone's and think let's let's try to make the best of it let's try um to to have like a healthy environment for mm. us humans to live in i'm very conscious of the time because i know you have to go and yeah. vote now um so I, I i suppose we will wrap up but i i just i love yeah. that i love that i think that story is so important and the idea that you can actually make an effort you can make a change and you can have an impact even if you don't think you're political you know if you have something that you're passionate about it can lead you down that road and you can really have an impact grace you're fantastic i'm so sorry that i have to say goodbye to you but you are an mep and you have to go and vote in the hemicycle i now know that's what it's called um <laughs> so <coughs> excuse me uh, uh, louise thank you so much thank and you can i just say you know it's it's the time of the year it's christmas so look I wish everyone a safe and peaceful and healthy Christmas. Um, and uh, I hope I see you all around. Absolutely. Thanks a million, Grace. Thanks, Louise. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcaster Kian Sullivan was back with me this week to talk about the celebs. You know we love those celebs and they have been at it. Um, some really interesting stories this week. We talked about the Golden Globe nominations, absolutely wonderful results for some Irish men. Um, we talked about Netflix finally letting us in on who's watching what. We also talked about uh, Shane McGowan's beautiful funeral and lots more besides. Please do enjoy. Kian Sullivan, it is so nice to have you here, my friend. How are you? Good, good. Happy to be back. It feels like it's been a while. I know, it has been a while. It's been qu- the last couple of months for me have been insane and that has definitely filtered through to the podcast um i feel like it's been slightly chaotic i don't think so as a listener i think at this time of year it's just so busy for everybody everyone wants a drink everyone was like yeah. will i see you again before christmas we meet up again yeah you have to go, no well then see i also me. choose to go to other voices at the start of every december and absolutely tear the arse out of it like i couldn't just go and do like daytime activities or like maybe go home at 11 no 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 no, no. <laughs> so that i'm kind of on the back foot from the very get-go and this December I had like just a lot of travel a lot of work um but I'm hoping in a few days I will have most of that work done and I am I don't know about you I absolutely don't think I've ever felt so desperate for a break as I am at the moment yeah no I can't wait to have the feet up yeah mold Bailey's in hand watch some fun Christmas movie I might get into Bailey's this year yeah, it's nice. Traditionally, yeah. I'm not, I have not been a Bailey's girly, but um, when I was at Other Voices, shut up about Other Voices, Louise, um, someone handed me a tiramisu Bailey's. Oh. And it was delicious. Lovely. Yeah. It's available, like a tiramisu yeah. Bailey's okay. in a bottle. Yeah. Check that out. Uh, not sponsored. Not spawn. Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> Do spawn, though. I'm totally up for it, Bailey's. Not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get into the celebs. Um, and we'll start with some great news for the Irish because the Irish men absolutely dominated the Golden Globe nominations this week. Yeah. We've done the triple on the lead actor in a drama movie. Uh, so, nominated is. Barry Keown for Saltburn, which I'm yet to see, but really want to see. Mm. Killian Murphy for his role at Oppenheimer. And which I- I've yet to see and will never see. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. And that's okay. Um, and then Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers, which I really want to see, but I'm not sure if it's out yet here. Uh, I don't think it is. I'm so excited to see it, though. Have you seen any of the kind of himself and Paul Maskell have been doing all these like interviews and like funny video yeah, stuff yeah. for uh, the, the press tour yeah and they are no two people have ever been more charming <laughs> I know honestly honestly I was watching them this morning like they were doing things like they had to say like who's the most famous person in their phone and like what what what's your favorite takeaway and mm. what's blah 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 and they're just so Irish when they're together yeah. um like they were talking about 
um Andrew was like oh I bet you've got Denzel Washington in your phone and Paul Maskell was like no I do not have Danielle Denzel but Denzel if you're watching <laughs> give me an, give me give me a little what's up like the two of them are just goss yeah who do you think is the most famous person in my contacts Denzel no I don't have Denzel my contacts I'd love to have Denzel Denzel if you're watching this come on Denzel give us a little WhatsApp there <laughs> Uh, what could you imagine? There was a big, big Denzel. He's like, shut up talking about me. Yeah, no, it's so into good it. to see. And the movie looks amazing where they play a couple. 22nd of December, um, it's out. Hello, it's Louise from the future. Sorry, that date is wrong. It's uh, December in America, but it's not released over here until January 26th. Sorry. Okay. I look forward to seeing that. Uh, elsewhere, there's a, the movie Poor Things, which was produced by Irish Production House Element Pictures. Got seven nominations. Um, so I think it's a good year all around. Well, I just think to look at that, that lead actor in a drama or best actor in a drama motion mm. picture category, there are six nominees and three of them are Irish. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You kind of wish they were split up that we could all we could win them all, but I guess unfortunately we're pitted against each other. But. Yeah, and a shame that we don't see like say Paul Mescal in another yes, category or whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, so you know, it's good. Otherwise, the three Roy males from Succession are head to head in the TV category. Mm. There's this new. Who do you think should win that of the three of them? Uh, I'd like it to go to Kieran. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, it, he's it, just flawless. Yeah, flawless yeah, I performance. Thought it was great. Yeah. Um, Barbie leads nominations with nine, Succession leads nominations with nine, and uh, yeah, there's a new category called Cinematic and Box Office Achievement, which mm. uh, Taylor Swift is nominated for, for her Eras Tour movie, which I wonder, is this a ploy to get Swifties watching the Golden Globes? Because there's been controversy the last few years around the Hollywood Foreign Press, people have boycotted and stuff like that, so I wonder, is this a bit of a rebrand? Yeah, yeah, it's there's, interesting. There's a really interesting article as well on Slate about the rise of Irish actors um, and what it is that kind of brings Irish actors so um, front and centre into the fore, especially men. There's a commentary on like Irish masculinity on screen and how mm. Chris O'Dowd and Bridesmaid kind of like rebranded what an Irish man can be in American films. Interesting. Being kind of goofy and charming and sexy all at the same time, whereas before we were often pigeonholed as kind of like priests and stuff like that. So it's mm. actually quite an interesting article. They touch on, you know, Eve Houston and Tisha mm. Ronan and Kerry Condon as well. And stuff. So oh, that interesting. is interesting. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. Because it's funny, like you look at people like, okay, so Killian Murphy obviously has been around for a while. He has that <laughs> spectacular bone structure, very striking looking yeah. person. Um, obviously extremely talented. Um, Barry Keown, like, I'm not going to be, like, I, I am going to be honest. When he appeared as the cat killer, on um love hate love hate thank you i was like this is us absolutely not <laughs> in love hate um and i i met him around that time um when my friends and i were going to see one direction in croke park mm. we met barry and some of his pals outside a pub in summer hill just by chance and ended up kind of chatting with them for a while um he asked my friend for her phone number it's her current claim to fame he was okay. i mean about 16 at the time okay um and he, he was lovely um, and nobody has a bad word to say about him. But like you wouldn't have predicted that he would have been a Hollywood star. No. Like he doesn't have like screen idol looks in like brackets. No. Like, you know, you just wouldn't have thought it. But his talent. Yeah. And obviously 
who he is because you know Hollywood is like any other industry like if you're a dickhead you're not really going to get that far mm. like you know I mean although many dickheads yeah. have succeeded obviously but dickheads beget dickheads but now that people <laughs> are a bit sounder yeah. like I think soundness does get you somewhere so he's obviously super likable mm. he's incredibly talented and he's managed to carve out this very unique space for himself it's really remarkable but I think but he is striking looking as well I oh, think he as well is. like and I, yeah. that, I think he, he he's not Unfortunately, no, sorry, I'm not calling leading. him ugly. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but like, he's not leading man. You wouldn't. He's have not thought. James Bond. No, but like, you could see him, and you go, "That's very cute." And he he's leaning to like, what was the the killing of a sacred deer? Where he yeah. plays kind of creepy and stuff. He's really yeah, good at those he's very good character. at those off offbeat yeah stuff. And he's so good at it. Yeah, like I thought he was absolutely incredible in the film. The name of which I Banshees cannot remember. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Like he, he was. was so good. He's so good. Um, yeah. And the only reason I, I mention his looks at all is that traditionally, I think the, the Irish people who have become successful have mm. been like you're, you know, immediately handsome, you know, obviously yeah. gorgeous people. Um, well, and it was then, funny in that article, there was an American one quote and she was like, well, the Irish people are all very good looking and very charming. And I was like, I mean, charming we? we'll accept, but very good looking is news to me compared to our Brazilian and Spanish and Swedish friends. But maybe <laughs> it's just, it's, the you know, Ireland AC, isn't it? Well, we're not like impressed by what we're surrounded by, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, all I'm saying is, I'm delighted for Barry. I'm delighted for Killian. I'm delighted for Andrew. I'm delighted for the Irish, up the Irish in general. Yeah, 100%. And Barry's uh, delighted. I saw he posted some lovely stuff talking about his gratitude. Yes, he, quote, broke his silence. I was like, was he was he maintaining a silence? <laughs> he said, basically, thank you to everyone he worked on. They're all sound legends. And, you know. yeah. So, yeah, good for him. I uh, can't wait to see him on, on the red carpet. I have also enjoyed him and Jacob Elordi's um, yes. press tour, Potter as 100%. well. 100%. Yeah. And look, and if they're nominated for Golden Globes, it looks good for them being nominated yeah. for Oscars as well. So it's we'll great. We'll great, great, great. Okay, uh, Shane McGowan's funeral took place this week um, and it looked... Amazing. Is it weird to say that about a funeral? I don't think so. I was like, I would like my funeral to be yeah. like this. It yeah. was great to see a real how celebration. many people came out to, you know, pay tribute. There was performances from, you know, that Hansard and Lisa O'Neill performed Fairy Tale in New York. Nick Cave performed Rainy Night in Soho. It was kind of like star studded, and it was really nice to see the world recognize. Irish music, even though, you know, he, he was originally born in Kent, but he, you know, had Irishness through his his uh, blood and everything like that. So, you know. Certainly embraced his Irishness exactly. as well. Exactly. Yeah. So it was really great to see how big um, of a turnout he had there. There was a 50-member marching band that took place down in Nina. His widow, Victoria Mary Clark, spoke about the requirement for compassion around addiction, which I thought was very important yeah, as really well. Yeah, really important. Um, so it's going, it's interesting. Now that we're coming up to Christmas, um, Fairytale in New York is currently number one in Ireland. It's probably going to sit there for the Christmas number one, but it's never been number one in the UK. I oh. think it's not, it's currently number four. Been held off by Wham and Mariah and Jack Harlow, but we're hoping they'll get to Christmas number one in the UK in honor of, of Shane's passing. Um, did you see the clip of Victoria Mary Clark talking to Johnny Depp during the funeral? No, I saw he was there and I tried to I <laughs> tried to leave it out of my notes. Yeah, sorry. I just, I, I feel like this needs to be acknowledged. So while she was speaking, she told this kind of anecdote, speaking kind of to Johnny Depp who was there about how Shane had like 
really tried over the phone to get Johnny to forgive his ex-wife, Amber. I hope you don't mind me saying this, Johnny, but when, when Johnny had a court case involving his ex-wife, Amber, and uh, Shane had a long conversation with you, didn't he, and urged you to forgive Amber. Yeah. Uh, he just thought it was the best thing to do because he just believed genuinely in forgiveness. And I'm sure you have by now, haven't you? Of course you have. Of course you have. <laughs> and the reason she was saying it obviously was to an example of the fact that Shane apparently was this like unbelievably forgiving, forgiving yeah. and compassionate human. But I was like, wow, Victoria. I mean, if there's that's any, a, that's any opportunity move. you can get, you can say something like that and not expect repercussions is that your husband's funeral. <laughs> I Use mean, your platform. absolutely work, work, Victoria Mary Clark. What was his face? Like, we didn't see his face. Okay. We just saw her face. She was like, I don't think you'll mind me saying this. And I was like, mm, oh, I think you will. He might, he might. <laughs> um, but I, I have to say, like, I have so much respect and admiration for Victoria Mary Clark and everything that she's spoken about. And she has been so, not that you have to be, but so kind of dignified around mm. this, which is, you know, undoubtedly an incredibly difficult time for her. Um, but yeah, I would like people dancing in the aisles at my funeral. And I, I absolutely commend everybody who made that happen at, at Shane's yeah. funeral because it seems like it was exactly right for him. Yeah, absolutely. A celebration of his life. 100%. Um, okay, now this is honestly one of my favorite stories of the week. Dakota Johnson got a lot of headlines and it's not the first time she's gotten a lot of headlines. No, but this is for, this is, Good for good things. But it's always for something kind of odd, yeah. you know. It was her who which was I like, love. Ellen, you were invited to my party, yes. you didn't come. Yeah, exactly. And she also did the famous architectural digest tour of her house and there was a massive bowl of limes. <laughs> she was just like, I just really love limes. Yeah. <laughs> and then afterwards she was like, I don't like limes. She's like, I don't know why that bowl is there. She's just, she's she's odd and brilliant in my opinion. Well, this feels like a real continuation of, was it you and James talking about the Mount Rushmore of, of yes. you know, like I don't want to... Kim Cattrall I don't want to be comfortable even for a minute yeah, yeah. yeah. so I like my job I just don't want to do it very often yeah, I, don't want to share my head. I don't want to hear someone else breathing yes exactly <laughs> so this feels kind of akin to that because Dakota Johnson has shared her self-care routine she said what I find very funny a lot of this feels very urgent you know like sleep is my number one priority in life sometimes I say oh my god what is this world and I'll get into the bathtub uh, in the morning, I have a coffee as quickly as possible. I'm like, <laughs> I, I love the urgency. But yeah, seemingly, if if anything gets too uh, overwhelming, she's straight into the bath. She sleeps at least 10 hours a day, ideally 14, and she cannot function without 10 hours sleep, which is so unrelatable. Uh, well, n- well, no, because like none of us have that time. You know what I mean? That's what I mean, like, I'd love to be able to sleep 10 hours a day. A- well, actually, I don't know if I would, but that's a separate question. I would. I would love to. Like, I've been sleep deprived now for seven years and um, it is hard. And when I posted this on my Instagram stories, I got so many, so many messages from people being like, wait, she has kids. She obviously doesn't yeah. have kids. I bet she doesn't have kids. And <laughs> I, I was like, I, I know, guys, I I do have kids. Like, I I know. But it's, it is it is hard when you are like a chronically exhausted person mm. via you know, for loads of different, any, any reason, like maybe you have insomnia, maybe you have anxiety that stops you from sleeping. Maybe you have to work two jobs. Maybe you have children who get you up in the middle of the night and early in the morning. Mm. It is hard to hear someone say that they need 10 hours. But at the same time, I'm like, yes, girl, go off. (laughs) Like if you can, why not? I just, there's part of me that just thinks, and again, I don't have kids. So, but like, 
to sleep 14 hours a day, that's more than half your day. Like, life is for the living, not for the sleeping, isn't that's it? A, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Like, what is she? But, but, so much of our day, regular people's days, yeah. is taken up by bullshit that we don't want to do. Yeah. You know, laundry, cleaning, um, maybe working a job that we don't particularly mm-hmm. want to work or doing, like, you know, invoicing or something stupid. Annoying tasks that yeah. we don't actually want to do. So if you didn't have to do any of that, mm-hmm. maybe 10 hours would be enough. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm willing to come talk about 10. 14 feels too far. More than, no, I but I mean, yeah. if she's sleeping 14, she's got 10 hours left in the day. Maybe oh, sorry, 10 hours, sorry, 10 hours, maybe is, 10 hours is enough. Maybe. If all you're doing is like exactly what you want. Yeah, okay. Maybe, I'll, I'll I don't know. That, I'll mull that over. Well, it's coming into New Year's resolution territory. Maybe we'll take some of this energy into 2024. Mm. She also meditates for her for anxiety, which I... Uh, do you meditate? Uh, no. No. I, I, I like the idea of it. Yeah. But my brain is extremely busy, which is probably why I should do it. Mm-hmm. But I, it always just feels like a, like to... I don't like doing things that are hard, Kian. Okay. <laughs> If I'm not immediately good at something, I don't want to do it. really hard. Don't break the facade for everybody. Yes, but there. I'm so good at oh, it. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's, good that's, that's it. Guys, I'm, jo- I'm joking. But like, honestly, I am one of those people that if things don't come immediately to me, I find it hard to keep going. Yeah. Like driving, for example, I found really difficult because I was obviously shit mm-hmm. at the start, like everybody is. Yeah. Um, and, and But I had to persevere. So I know I can do it. I just don't particularly want to. Yeah. I, I used to do it for a while. I've got out of the habit of it. But whenever I'm like pissed off or like one of those days when I'm tired or you know everyone's annoying me I'll try meditation and it does it does reset me and, and what do you what does that look like for you uh, are you chanting are you just no, just sitting down closing my eyes and trying to not think of anything I'll normally try to feel every aspect of my body so I'll sit there and go can I feel the tips of my toes can I feel the knuckles of my feet can I feel my ankles can I feel my heels and try to focus just on them and feel all the way up my body then up until I'm at my head and then and are you able to do that (sighs) you do get distracted so then I restart because I feel like my brain would be like can I feel the tips of my toes? This is fucking stupid. Why am I doing this also? What about the washing? And oh, I haven't picked up Sam's and I didn't do that for him. And like, yeah, but that's natural. Then you have to go, no, no, no. Can I feel my toes? Okay. Yeah. And you get, I would just keep resetting until I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not against it. I love, I love it conceptually. I'd love to be able to do it. I actually um, had a conversation recently with, um, a girl, Emma Keo, uh, some people might know her from the internet. Um, she is really, really lovely. And um, she does a lot of kind of wellness stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's very no nonsense, like no messing at all. And um, I, she's, I kind of was like, I should get you on the podcast because she's really into all that stuff. I was like, I'd love you to help me get over yeah. my skepticism mm. around all of this, you know? Yeah. So I might have her on in the new year. Yeah, you should. Little, little what preview. is ironic, though, is when you are meditating and if somebody interrupts your meditation, honestly, the rage so quick. Mm. You're like, I'm meditating! <laughs> okay, Gollum. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're back to, okay, can I feel my knees? <laughs> 
<laughs> so love that's it. the irony. Yeah. Um, Mini Driver is someone who I have noticed is quite active. You see her kind of openly commenting on Twitter and on Instagram mm. on various things all the time. She clearly uses her own account. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she led us into a little insight of the night of the Oscars in 1998 when Goodwill Hunting won. So it's for just in case there's anybody listening, I'm quite mindful of the fact that 1998 is a long time ago. Goodwill Hunting was like massive movie. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck wrote it and they were like these new kids on the block. They were so young. Like looking at the picture, it's actually yeah. wild. Like I don't, I'm going to Google now once you start talking and find out how young they were at the time, but they were super, super young. Mm. Um, and Mini Driver was in that film as Matt Damon's love interest. So it's come up again because... Yeah, because the video uh, was shared with them winning the award and uh, it cuts to the people that they thank, including the director and, and co-colleagues. And Ben says, thanks to Minnie Driver. And it cuts to Minnie Driver in this serene, sort of heartbroken look in a gorgeous red dress with her hair up. And uh, yeah, that's what kind of started the conversation. Minnie Driver comments under the post saying, oh, my face and a load of laughing emojis. And she shares that basically she had been dating Matt Damon. They had broken up a few weeks prior to the Golden Globes Award. And uh, he had brought his new girlfriend along. And she kind of was one of those actors who in that moment couldn't act and was kind of felt awkward and weird about the whole thing. And, you know probably had her inner saboteur telling her she wasn't good enough because her new boyfriend or her boyfriend had a new girlfriend and I thought it was just really relatable well I yes I mean so relatable mm. um, by the way they were they were 28 um, okay. at the time um, so for them to be winning you know Oscar is a pretty big deal but I also was like that's a douche move Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, if you break up with someone a few, and then a few weeks later, you're at the Oscars with them for mm-hmm. a film that you starred in together, you do not have to bring your new friggin' girlfriend. Yeah. Come on, 100%, Matt Damon. 100%. Yeah. I'm sure, now, I quite like Matt Damon. Matt Damon. My son was in a film with Matt Damon. Oh. Yes. Did you hear that clatter across the floor? That was a uh-huh. name drop. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it was a very funny thing that happened during COVID where Ted ended up being in <clears throat> a film called The Last Duel. Oh, yeah. Ridley Scott film. Yeah. Um, Jodie which, Comer. Yeah. Mm. Um, Ted is actually a very... Have you seen it? No. My book is. very um, key role. Key oh, right. Ro- key role. Oh, well, yeah. And um, on the day that we, sh- we shot it, I was just there. Um, afterwards, I didn't even know Matt Damon was there. And Matt Damon just all of a sudden appeared mm-hmm. and was like, hey, are you his mom? I was like, yes. And he was like, wow, that was amazing. He was like, Teddy Brando over here. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that such a good story? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so obviously I die for him. But um, 28-year-old Matt Damon, bad decision. But look, yeah, that, now Goodwill Hunting, that was all Harvey Weinstein. And there was the whole era of Harvey Weinstein and campaigning and stuff like that. So who knows what was going on and mm-hmm. what the motivating forces behind that was probably all a bit insidious. But no, it's okay. I forgive him. Yeah, hopefully he's grown. Um, now, another interesting thing that happened this week in the world of entertainment yes. is Netflix historically have never released viewing figures mm. and they have decided to do so. Yeah, interesting move. And uh, it seems they say or I don't, yeah, they seem to say it's it's due to rising pressures that ha- came from the Hollywood strikes for Netflix to be more transparent with their viewing figures. So they've agreed to release mm. these bi- uh, biannual reports showing... The viewing figures, uh, which I think will be interesting because if 
going forward artists are getting paid per stream or per mm-hmm. thousand streams just like they w- might be in, on Spotify mm. you know this is a more transparent way for them to kind of see how popular their shows continue to be on streaming channels mm. and maybe it'll prompt a move for the other streamers Disney etc to follow suit and mm. um, because we all go on Spotify I guess you don't do an Apple Music, but Spotify will show you how many streams a song has and stuff like that, and conversations arise from that. So, yeah, um, I think it's interesting, interesting move to see where things go. I downloaded the report, mm-hmm. had a delve into it. The the top uh, is the Night Agent. I, oh yeah, I no one was in it that I knew of. Uh, that has also did the I units. Watch that? I think I did. Did I? No, I didn't. Never mind. The units they use are hours of viewing. So things that have longer seasons will be higher than things that have short seasons. Oh. And I don't know why they don't just do plays, like, it, you know, podcasting and stuff like that. It's all plays, Spotify's mm. plays. And I know that also is imperfect because if someone listens for 30 seconds, it's the same as someone listening for an hour. So I don't know why the uh, units... I don't think it's like that for, for my podcasting okay. statistics. No, it's, it's, it, mine are actually downloads, they call it. And it's based on how much of the podcast is listened to or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Oh, because I was like, if it was every, if it was thirty seconds, I could just be hitting that play button yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all day well, long. Once upon a time, my Spotify for podcasters told me any thirty seconds count as a listen, but maybe they've changed. Now. Yeah. Um, maybe that's Spotify. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But the um, yeah, so I don't know what's the best. Maybe there's a reason for this, but also it, it does kind of obscure the numbers because it doesn't actually tell you how many people watched it. Like, I'm sure they could find out an audience score of how many different accounts watched this, mm. which I wonder would that be a more, more useful metric? Yeah. Um, because, of course, the first thing I did was scroll right down to the bottom to see what was last. But uh, anything under 100,000 um, views or hours of viewing is just capped at 100,000 mm. but amongst them was Dolly Parton's Christmas at the Square mm. the Diana the Musical mm. or a short documentary called What Would Sophia Loren Do? What Would Sophia Loren Do? I guess we'll have to watch to find out. a good question. Um, so yeah it's interesting you can download it for free I thought I'd prepare a little game mm-hmm. if people wanted to guess along at home what was viewed by four more hours so this is between June and November mm-hmm. what was viewed more Wednesday Mm-hmm. The Jenny Ortega mm-hmm. Adams, or you season four. Wednesday. Yes, I. Yes. But they was actually very close. Yeah, uh, well, five, you is very popular. You is very popular. Four hundred forty million hours of you season four, and then five hundred seven million hours of Wednesday season one. Wow. Uh, Black Mirror, the latest season of Black Mirror, or Glass Onion. That's a tough one. I'm gonna go Glass. I'm going to go Black Mirror. I was going to say Black Mirror as well because that came out since June. And also multiple episodes, so surely exactly. more hours. But no, Glass Onion pipped it. For huh. 143 million to 140 million for Black Mirror. Interesting. And finally, for people who have kids using their Netflix account, Trolls versus Shrek. Hmm. Shrek. Trolls wins. Really? Yeah, 73 million hours versus 48 million hours. I was thinking because <coughs> a lot of like adults would watch Shrek yeah. as well because it's just a good film. Yeah. Um, whereas Trolls. I guess, I wonder if Trolls because it's more recent, kids might have more nostalgia for it. Do they? I don't know. Yeah, kids. no, I mean, it's true. Like kids become completely fixated on films after they've seen them. So uh, Trolls, I think, would be more of a repeat watch for kids yeah. at the moment. I will say the most recent Trolls film, absolute trash. Okay. Wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> but it also answers long asked questions, maybe, of like, what's the most popular Friends season? Season six. 
Oh, what happens in season six? I can't remember. I think that's pretty soon after the, after the wedding. Is it when Ross says Rachel's name? I feel that's kind of like four or five, six, isn't it? Oh, that's mad. I mean, I, I do you know what I'm interested in as a 105 year old woman? Um, when I was with, I was with a load of youths the last couple of days, and um, I, on the way home, I had a little sneak look over to see what one of them was watching, and he was watching Friends. Well, I'm watching Friends for the first time. Are you currently? I'm up to season ten. Yeah. So you're a youth as well. Oh, but I like all my friends watched for all my friends watch Friends. I. My parents never did, and then I kind of made a part of my personality that didn't watch Friends. So season six opens with Ross and Rachel having gotten married the previous night in Vegas. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Big season. That's a good one, yeah. Big season. US Office, most popular one, is season three, and apparently Grey's Anatomy, most popular season, is season two. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I've watched both Grey's Anatomy and The Office repeatedly, so I can actually just summon those to my Straight head so okay, if there's a season if there's a multiple season thing on Netflix you can download the spreadsheet and see which season is most popular which uh, of course I did with Drag Race oh um, yeah and? but a lot of them aren't on anymore so yeah. it was season 11 yeah which is Evie Oddly's year oh yeah uh, which well, surprised me but yeah. I think it's an interesting thing if you're a fan of a TV show to see very interesting yeah. very interesting indeed that's me well my friend thank you so much uh, I really appreciate it and we will talk to you in the new year have a good yeah. Christmas likewise happy Christmas I forgot to get Kian to plug his podcast at the end there. So don't forget that you can go and listen to Kian on his podcast, Sissy That Pod and Queer Classified. He is also on RT Pulse. He contributes to RT2 FM. He's doing all kinds of things. If you want to find him on Twitter, he is Kian Sullivan. Now, though, it is just about time for me to finish up. But before I do, I want to give you a heartfelt recommendation. And that recommendation is Smothered. Smothered is a six-episode TV series. Episodes are about 28, 29 minutes long. Like, you could devour this in one night if you wanted to. And I almost did. I watched most of it in one sitting. Um, It's on Now TV or Sky. And it is like a rom-com TV program. Everyone in it is great. Ashling B is in it. She's brilliant in it. All of the performances are great. The guy who's in it, he's also in Big Boys, which is another program I loved, which you, if you haven't seen, I just like could not, like I absolutely implore you to watch it. Very funny, very charming. The guy who's, I'm talking about his name is John Pointing. Uh, has quickly become one of my favorite actors, even though I didn't know his name. Um, he is the kind of romantic lead in uh, in smothered and he is just brilliant and charming and lovely and the show is smart and one of the reasons I think that it's smart is because it was created and written by Monica Heisey who is the author of one of my favorite books of the year as well really good actually she also previously wrote for Schitt's Creek and she is going to be one of the interviews that you will hear over the next two weeks instead of a regular episode there'll be kind of extended episodes I think Monica is very cool and I'm actually a bit worried that I'm not going to be able to be normal um on the Zoom with her. I'm recording it tomorrow. Like, so if it comes across weird, that's just because I think she's very cool and I don't know how to be normal. So yeah, so if you haven't read Really Good, actually maybe pick that up. It is such a good read. Oh my God, you will devour it. Like it's it's not super long. It's not super hard. It is so clever and smart because she is clever and smart. And then another book that you might want to read if you want to fully, fully enjoy the um, episodes over the next couple of weeks is Poor by Katrina O'Sullivan. This is a book that won multiple Irish Book Awards. It is a book that people have been telling me to read all year. And I am ashamed to say I have had it in the house for a full year. Um, 
but I I actually don't get a huge amount of reading done outside of of the podcast. It's something I'm really going to try and work on next year. And I just didn't get to it until recently. Um, And it's a brilliant book. I really admire her. We actually have um, a fair few things in common in our in our kind of early life stories so I think we're gonna have a really good conversation um you can listen to it on audiobook as well uh I I kind of did both and Katrina reads it herself and she does a really brilliant job of it so um on audiobook I think it's about six and a half hours long so you could stick it on in a few car journeys and have it done um, and then you would really I think enjoy hopefully conversation as I say it hasn't been this one hasn't been recorded yet either they're both being recorded tomorrow um so yeah so over the next two weeks you'll have two special episodes one with Monica Heisey one with Katrina O'Sullivan and then I will be back on the 5th of January with a regular catch up with Louise McSharry episode with our regular contributors and stuff so thank you so so much for listening today thank you so much for listening all year I am so grateful to you guys for being part of my life I really hope you have a lovely Christmas. Um, but, and I know I say it every week, like not every week can be good and not every Christmas can be good. And I say that as someone who's had her fair share of really difficult Christmases. So if this is a tricky time of year for you, the same thing I say every week applies. Just put one foot in front of the other. Find your moments where you can. If you have to carve out a morning for yourself where you put on your nice candle and you read your nice book or you watch your favorite Christmas film or you watch a film that's not about Christmas at all or if you want to gather your friends for your own little Christmas moment, if your family isn't working for you, if you don't have family, you know, don't be afraid to build your own traditions into this time um, because you're not alone and there are plenty of people who find Christmas really alienating. I find it, tricky I'll be honest it's a kind of a weird tricky one for me um often um but whatever happens we are going to put one foot in front of the other and when I talk to you next it'll be 2024 and we can say goodbye to this year which has been difficult for everyone I don't think there's anyone who had an easier this year because even just looking at the international news it's been a difficult year and we are going to be fresh and we are going to be excited and we will be together again. Thank you so much to Acast and all my wonderful contributors. I will talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.